It's Monday, July 14th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Bastille Day, gentlemen. Oh, That's wow. Right. Apparently, they're celebrating like in D.C. Day after World of, well, World Cup Day or something. I didn't realize it was Bastille Day. It is Bastille Day, but yes. Which wor- means... I don't know. Big things in France. Like a big party going on in France. I'm thinking <laughs> they became France. independent a week after we did. Apparently, uh, uh, but Taylor is rocking <laughs> his team Germany. I'm assuming that's a team is. Germany yeah, yeah. jersey. Yeah, that's from the 2010 World Cup. So you were pleased with the outcome of the game? Very pleased. That was an exciting game. <laughs> it was I was on the edge of my bar stool. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the edge of my sofa. But it sounds like being I was on the edge of a pool chair. <laughs> there it is. Three different viewing arenas. Uh, well, no, I wasn't watching the uh, game. No, okay. I just was at the pool of the family. Although, Imagine all right, then I'll direct this question to Taylor then uh, before Please we dig do. into the news of the day. <laughs> uh, the commentators for ESPN, Ian Dark and the uh, doing the play-by-play, and Steve McManaman, I think mm-hmm. I'm pronouncing that correctly. But how great are those guys? They should they should comment commentate every single sport. They I think are, are Madden is on his way out. He need they need to take over Madden football. They are so good, so good, and they have now ruined the bell curve of <laughs> sports announcing. Every ever whether it's basketball, football, baseball, whatever, everyone should everyone who is in that business should study those guys. The one-liners they come up with are just blow me away. Well, I spend more time laughing than, than but uh, they've, cheering. They've, they've got wonderful chemistry. They've clearly done their research, but it's also the economy of words. They're mm-hmm. not, they don't feel the need to fill every second. They let you actually watch the game and of watch course. things yeah. play out. So just, and the accents don't hurt either. <laughs> um, it, is, uh, it is Merger Monday. We'll talk about uh, the merger going on in the tobacco industry. Uh, we've got Citigroup's earnings, and we'll dip into the full mailbag. But let's start with Merger Monday. Reynolds American is in merger talks with Lorillard. These are two of the largest cigarette makers in the United States. Combined, Jason, they would prove to be a pretty formidable, albeit uh, number two in the industry, but they would be a, a pretty formidable competitor to Philip Morris yeah, and parent company uh, of Philip Morris, Altria. The paperwork is still being worked out, so this deal is not finalized. But there's nothing to indicate that the, that this is hostile in any way. This seems like it's it's just a matter of time before it's going to happen, and maybe by the end of the week, this is a done deal. But let's start with Philip Morris. If you're at Altria Group and you're watching this play out, how nervous are you? Uh, I mean, I think that I would be a little bit more nervous, probably, just to the overall sort of longer-term market dynamics at play here. I mean, what we're seeing is really the consolidation in this industry because, uh, I mean, so yeah, globally, cigarette consumption has been on the rise. I mean, if you look at the numbers just from uh, 1980 to 2012, the number of adults who smoked increased from 721 million to about a billion. Not that that's not what's happening here domestically. Domestically, uh, you know, we are seeing uh, cigarette use on the decline. And and so I, I think that you know you see sort of globally how this is all sort of playing out. It, it, I don't think this will happen overnight. I mean, I think over the course of time here, you're going to start seeing I think people waking up to the fact that tobacco can actually kill them, and you're going to see cigarette consumption sort of on the wane here, probably later on in our lives. Certainly domestically, that's what's happening. So consolidation in this in this industry is really necessary. Uh, because, I mean, you're, you're looking at sort of an economies of scale here thing in the first place, right? I mean, they can really take advantage of scale, you know, produ- produce as many cigarettes for as, as little cost as they can. And it's not, you know, it's not a zero-sum game here by any means, but it is a, it is a situation where you're going to probably see 
the maximum consolidation here over the coming decade. Uh, but but for me personally, I, I look further out sort of at the, the general market dynamics and and think, well, you know, I mean, I'm not sure it's really it's really one that I want to be a part of. So I think investors going to have to they have to ask that question. You know, I mean, is this something that you really want to be a part of? Because this is a market I think that is going away. It may take a while, but but it's it's not going to last forever. Well, and Taylor, Jason just touched on something. I mean. More so, maybe than any other product or service, tobacco is one of those industries where there are people saying, I don't care what the returns are. I don't care how many years in a row Philip Morris has increased their dividend. Mm-hmm. I'm just not going to be a part of this. Well, you know, I look at it as when these two companies, e cigarettes, I think, are the next big thing. Obviously, they're taking off in the United States. Lower large, 40% market share. So they're trying to disrupt the cigarette industry. Philip, or I'm sorry, Reynolds has a product that's not been nationally tested yet. So they're already going out and grabbing blue from Lorillard, which has been proven. People like it. I think that with vape, with these vaporized cigarettes, you need to get there before people continue to stop smoking because I doubt a smoker is going to pick up an e-cigarette after they've fought so hard to give up smoking. So I think that if they don't get in soon enough, e-cigarettes might not really make a big play. But it's just inconvenient in the United States to smoke now. You can't smoke within 25 feet of most buildings, um, and so you really lose out on these opportunities. And with the go-go lifestyle, e-cigarettes kind of allow you to smoke on the run. You don't have to sit there and light up a cigarette and, and have a place to ash, have a place to dispose of it. So um, I think the winner of the cigarette industry, whether or not it's going to continue to be a $100 billion industry as it is now, I don't believe it will be, but I think the long-term winner um, is going to have some bumps in the road, but it's going to be an e-cigarette company. I think the upside, too, that if, if anyone who's invested who, who's invested in this market or is interested in investing in this market, I mean, I think at this point, you got to sort of think that, like, you know, all of these lawsuits, all of the litigation is got it's got to start going away. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't take. Everybody knows that if you smoke, it's bad for you. And I mean, there's there's only so many disclosures you can put on that on that cigarette box. I mean, it's no secret anymore. So, you know, some some brand new smoker isn't going to be able to go take up smoking and then ten, fifteen years down the road decide to sue a tobacco company because well, hey, didn't know they were bad for right. them. I mean, that's those days are done. So, I mean, you can see that sort of playing out on that cost side, which will help the scale game too. Well, and Taylor, you mentioned the e-cigarette market share that Lorillard has. Lorillard, in their portfolio of cigarettes, traditional cigarettes, they also have a lot of menthol Yeah, they have the niche cigarettes. industries. Yeah. And that's that's where a lot of the lawsuit, pending lawsuits mm-hmm. are right now in that. So I'm, I'm, you know, uh, I'm assuming that at least part of the paperwork that these two companies are going through this week to hammer out this merger might have to do with that. Yeah, they have a bit of better understanding of what's on the horizon, I guess. And yet, I mean, despite everything We've just talked about Lorillard hitting an all-time high in the last few days. Uh, Reynolds American is right there. I mean, this it, it, there there is a market within the investing community for this product. Oh, there's for no this question. Stock. Well, yeah. globally speaking, this is still a very robust market. I mean, this is a great dividend play. If, you, if you're looking for, for an income investor style play, I mean, these big tobacco companies are, are really worth a look. It's just, it depends on, you know, everybody sort of has that line they have to draw. Uh, and then you also have to recognize the fact, I think that globally speaking, this is going to turn at some point and it becomes much less attractive as I don't think you can count really on the population. I don't think you can count on the population, more of the population, becoming smokers uh, you know, as, as, as the decades go on. Good day for Citigroup. The company agreed to pay $7 billion 
to settle government claims it misled investors about mortgage-backed bonds sold ahead of the 2008 financial crisis. And, oh, by the way, second quarter profits and revenue came out better than expected. Shares up about 3.5% this morning, Taylor, trading at an all-time high. Things have really turned around for Citigroup since Michael Corbett took over the CEO's office. Yeah, if you asked them in April if $7 billion was going to be a good deal, they would have told you no, because they only offered $363 million. Justice Department came back with twelve. They met almost in the middle at seven. Um, yeah, the, a lot of shakeups in the, in the CEO suite, the executive suite, the chairman, or uh, sorry, the uh, board of directors. Um, this is one of the banks that I think has had the most change of, of really all the top ranks uh, of the most major banks. Now Bank of America is next up on deck. Um, they were delayed because of this. Citigroup was delayed because of uh, crisis in Libya and uh, Benghazi. So. They've got a few more banks to go through, and it's just never ending with these lawsuits on these banks. Seven billion dollars might not be a lot to 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 come out as bank like Citigroup with, but it's not the end. They're still going to have potential criminal charges. They haven't written that off, and uh, like I said, Bank of America is a bigger bank, and so they could potentially have even higher fines because they are more exposed through Merrill Lynch. Even though they're now saying we hadn't want anything to do with Merrill Lynch, right? We were forced to take <laughs> right. them on. Uh, I doubt that. It's a, 100% true, but that's their excuse now that the, the Justice Department is about to crack down on them. Do either of you guys invest in the big banks? Are there At any point, not. have you looked at big bank stocks and thought, oh, this is getting interesting. I might, I might take a little nibble here. Not me. A time ago, I did own some Wells Fargo shares. Um, and I mean, yeah, that was an investment I did well with. But you know, I, I tend to look at these big banks now with with more skepticism than anything else. And you know, I, I'm finishing up this book, "The Smartest Guys in the Room: The Enron Story." Yeah. You know, and so it's just really is that Bethany McLean? Yeah, 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 and it's it's really really good. I can't I can't recommend it enough. Uh, but it it makes me think a couple of things. Really, is number one, I think this is you know Enron was sort of back in that 2000 range. You know, the ba- the banks here. Uh, are are just really kind of getting this all worked out here. It seems to me there's always something going on, right? I mean, when we invest, we take a leap of faith no matter what the company. But but there are always going to be these types of scandals. I mean, you have to be aware that the bigger these companies are, uh, you know, the more difficult their financials are to understand, to read through, you know, the better the better chance there is a ticking time bomb in there that you can't you can't find. Uh, and I think that you know, for me, no matter how regulated a business is, and I think people will look at banks and say, well, this is a very highly regulated business, so therefore it translates to lower risk. Well, I mean, I think it's been proven beyond a reasonable doubt necessarily. that the regulators can certainly miss it, you know, whether it's whether it's by accident or otherwise. I mean, money certainly is is a, a great incentive for, for anyone in any walk of life. So for me, when I look at these banks, I just don't see any, there's nothing compelling there. I don't see really why I think that generally banking is becoming more commoditized now. I'm trying to figure out how I don't ever have to go into a bank, right? I just want to get my stuff taken care of online yeah. or just swipe a card. Um, so I would say for investors out there, if you're interested in banks, I think the easier way to go about it is to look for a well-run insurer because those well-run insurers tend to hold those bigger banks in their portfolios of, of their investments. And uh, and that way you can get that bank exposure without completely you know just sticking yourself to that one basket. We're five and six years removed from the financial crisis, and they're still dealing with multi-billion dollar litigation suits. So yeah, I mean, that's going to go It's going to continue a for a few more years, yeah. And like you said, everyone wants to avoid going to a bank. I think I read that 17% of checks deposited now are done so over a phone in the United States. It's probably a little bit higher elsewhere because we're 
surprisingly lagging behind in the technology that these banks are incorporating um, in their retail side. So uh, it's only going to be a matter of time before branch banks yeah, are they're just gonna be, completely done. They're going to try to figure out new ways yeah. to make money, and, and I don't trust that these will be necessarily all on the level. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe I'm just getting out in front of this one early. I don't know, but, you know, time will tell. It just saves time. <laughs> you can always email us. Radio at fool.com is our email address. Got a question from Tim Jones in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm a huge fan and listen every day on my walk to work. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, a few weeks ago, I made a stock purchase of Dick's Sporting Goods through one of the larger uh, one of the large broker houses, Fidelity. I make about two to three transactions a year following a longer-term approach to my investments. When buying, I had three options to make the purchase uh, on the day, on the open, and on the close. Uh, what are the differences in those buy options and which one is preferred so I can make the most of my theoretical $7 transaction fee? And there was a long, he provided more details about sort of how the default setting was on the day, and he went with that and ended up getting stuck with buying the stock at a higher price. Right. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm, I don't use Fidelity, so I can't speak specifically to that platform. But most of these platforms, um, they, will, they will give you the option yeah, at the open, at the close, on the day. But you should be able to, in, in that on-the-day option, there, there should be the option for you to, to place a limit order, which is something that, I mean, we recommend a lot just because it helps investors really dictate the price that they're going to get. And essentially, what a limit order does is if you're buying a stock, it's a price you set so that you won't pay any more than that than that price. And, and if you're selling, it, it, it works the opposite. But with, with a lot of companies, it doesn't really matter because when you look at sort of the bid-ask spread you know, throughout the day, and I'll use one of these big banks as an example, the bid and the ask are usually just pennies apart. So it won't really matter when you when you put in that order; it'll you'll buy it you know right around that price. But the smaller companies, the companies with a little bit less or lighter volume, you'll see those bid ask spreads. That that spread will become bigger uh, you know on on some days than others. Uh, and, and so if you don't place a limit order, then you lose control over really what price you want to pay. And and I mean you know on the one hand fifty one to fifty five dollars. I mean who knows in the grand scheme of things maybe that doesn't mean a lot. But hey maybe it does. You know I mean you you want to make sure you understand what you're paying when you. You go into right. you know, the store, and, and in the short term, if you're if you're looking at it like, wow, I just paid in aggregate a few hundred dollars more to buy this stock than I would have otherwise. Exactly, and if you can keep from doing that, well, of course you want to use the option that, that, that's available to you. So, so what I would do is I would check with that platform, make make sure that 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 option for a limit order exists, and then you know next time you place an order to buy or sell a stock. You know, figure out that price where you feel comfortable saying, "Okay, if I'm going to buy Dick's Sporting Goods, but I don't want to pay any more than fifty-two dollars per share," then you just enter that limit order. It says fifty-two dollars per share. It, it the trade might not go through, okay, but if it doesn't go through, that's better than probably paying too much. I assume, yeah. especially if you're sitting at home at night researching stocks and put an order in when the market's closed, because anything happens at that price from when it closes the night before to when it opens that next day. So yeah. you could really be affected pretty dramatically if, if if some news breaks and it spikes up a couple percent. You're yeah. going to lose out if you don't. Yeah, and w- worth reminding folks, as we saw last week, just because a company has set a date for when they're going to report earnings doesn't mean they're not going to come out with stone. Not, doesn't mean they're not going to come out with news a few weeks prior, like we saw last week with Lumber Liquidators, which reports earnings on July 30th and came out last week and said, "Oh, by the way." 
we're lowering our guidance for the earnings that are coming out at the end of the month. Ah, the good old pre-announce. <laughs> the pre-announce. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. At MarketFoolery is our Twitter handle. Got a question from uh, someone whose Twitter handle is at ShooterF16. Uh, tweeted a photo of a Michael Kors next to a coach at an outlet mall in Las Vegas and uh, asking the question, are the margins going to disappear from Michael Kors? I got to say, it was kind of amusing to see sort of those two competitors right next door to one another. <laughs> Maybe not all that unusual when you consider the setting as an outlet mall, uh, but I think that's a legitimate concern for Michael Kors or any sort of any accessory apparel retailer who has done well at the higher end of the spectrum. Seeing what we've seen with Coach over the last few years, if you make that play for the lower end consumer. You you do run the risk on your margins. Yeah, I mean that's there's no question there. I mean when when you start resorting to lower prices and couponing and deals to get people in the door to create store traffic, you're gonna see your margins uh, get hit. You know we saw the Container Store last week. You know talk about how they didn't resort to that style of behavior, which was fine. They maintained their pricing, but traffic was obviously very low, and, and it was a dismal uh, earnings report. But I think that you know with with Coach, I mean Coach has obviously been been facing a you know, a lot of headwinds. Uh, I think that I would encourage investors to not just make the assumption that because Coach is having trouble that, oh, well, the answer must just be Michael Kors and let's invest in Michael Kors. It's not to say that Michael Kors can't be a good investment. It certainly can. But but retail is very fickle, fashion retail particularly. And, and so at some point, uh, you know, mark my words, at some point you're going to see Michael Kors run into these sort of issues as well. And they're, they're either going to have to resort to figuring out how to boost store traffic or they're just going to go ahead and, and take the slow, uh, the slower, uh, the slowdown in sales. Uh, but one or the other. But you see this, this happens with these retail names all the time. And that's what makes them so difficult is, you know, you want to buy when the news is just really bad. So if you're looking at it, you're thinking, well, if you buy Coach shares today, the bet is that the Stuart Beavers collection that comes out in September is is going to be is going to be a good one. It's going to be well received, and you know it's it's Buffett says you you pay a high price for a cheery consensus, and right now you're getting a very cheery consensus for cores, and you're getting a pretty crappy one for coach. Right. So just you know take that, learn from it, understand what your sort of risk tolerance is, and then just maybe proceed accordingly. But uh, it's a good question. Or just buy stock in these outlet malls. If you have these <laughs> Tanger, stores, right? yeah, yeah, Tanger is a huge one, a and one. they keep building them. They that's have probably, great asset plays. That's publicly yeah. traded, right? Yeah, and. Um, if the, if these foot traffic these high foot traffic stores like Coach and, and Michael Kors continue to move to that outlet route, which surprises me a little bit, it's excess inventory. But you continue to see high end stores enter these outlet markets, and uh, people can spend money there just as easy as they can at a fully priced store. So that's another way to to play this more diversified uh, retail game. And then it begs the question, though. I mean, if it's at a retail, if it's at an outlet, I mean, is it really higher end? I mean, that's is true. It really, yeah. luxury. Yeah. Because I mean, you're not going to find Tiffany's at one of these. You know, outlets, uh, but I think you're going to find Coach and Coors and more, you know, retail companies like that taking advantage of that space because they they it ultimately they need to figure out a way to gin up as much traffic as they can. Well, and that's where how good an operator they are yeah. and how good the store experience is mm-hmm. comes into play because at these outlet malls where there will be tour buses just pulling up, <laughs> dropping yeah. people off. If you can get people in the door with promise of discounted stuff, but you You've got your higher margin items throughout the store. Well, then you're you're not really sacrificing 
the margins to the extent that some might think. That's true. Not everything in those stores is on sale. Right. Exactly. And then, I mean, taking that one step further, you to look at your companies like Nike and Under Armour that are taking those those outlet style prices and products just onto their you know their websites, and so they're they're building a pretty robust e-commerce business in the process. They don't have to maintain that physical store presence uh, quite as much as maybe maybe those that are uh, you know a little bit behind the uh, behind the times on that e-commerce strategy. <coughs> Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> uh, just to wrap up, uh, there are outlet malls in Las Vegas, but there are other things to do in Las Vegas. Any recommendations for for anyone who's going there, whether it's a, a place to see or, or something to do? Buy a cheap plane ticket to Vegas, get a rental car, and drive two to three hours away from it. There's tons <laughs> to do outside of Vegas. Uh, beautiful nature. You've got uh, Joshua Tree. You've got Death Valley. Grand Canyon's only four hours away. Red Rocks Canyon is yeah. just about 30, 40 minutes. That's it. People don't know that. You fly into Vegas, you just see this little town in the desert, and that's all that you think is there. But within a three to four hour drive. Morrison, Colorado, right? Uh, Where Red Rocks is? I think so, yeah. I think this is Morrison. Yeah, I mean, that's. I, I would go to Red Rocks for a show, or I would make sure to bring my golf clubs and just tee it up in that general area. I mean, that, some of that desert golf is just amazing. And you can fly there so cheap. It's it, it, really, it really is cheap to fly there. Um, the only thing I'll add is just hydrate. <laughs> just just <laughs> whatever you drink, just double up on the amount of water that you drink because exactly. it's, it's sneaky. Yeah. It is sneaky. Like, it's obvious when it's warmer weather. Mm-hmm. But you can go there in cooler weather, but you're still in a desert. It dries you out. dries you out. All right. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 